live stream should be on in the uh, room. You might want to see if you can put that on for them if you don't mind. The rest of us are going to be in Revelation chapter number 20. We'll do verses 1 to 10. Lord willing, this evening, as we look at the thousand years or the kingdom. So Revelation chapter number 20 and verse number 1, and we'll we'll read, as I said, to verse number 10. Then we'll get into it and expand it a little bit. All right, Revelation 20, verse number 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, and such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Then when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up in the breadth of the earth and come past the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and... He- oh, sorry, no. <laughs> I just want to go on there. We have to stop. We have to stop. We have to stop. We're not getting to that judgment just yet. Uh, what we're going to look at tonight is uh, what's known as the Millennial Kingdom. Gets its name Millennium from this thousand-year period. It's uh, Kiliasm, really, is, is kind of the Greek term. It's thousand years. And what it refers to is this thousand-year period that... In our premillennial stance here, the Lord comes back to the earth and then this kingdom is ushered in. But this, like pretty much everything from Revelation 4 onwards, is debated amongst the church um, widely. And there are those that hold to certain positions that will not allow for this thousand years to be a literal thousand year period really gets down into your hermeneutics how you interpret scripture but that said there's kind of three thoughts there's premillennialism the Lord returns before the millennium there's amillennialism that there is no thousand year uh, literal period and postmillennialism this believes that the uh, period of triumph for the gospel and time of peace will come after the second coming of Jesus premillennialism that we hold to 
takes this stuff literally where we believe that it's literal and, and then we go symbolic where scripture takes us to be symbolic. Now, like I said, this is hotly debated. Before I came out tonight, I went on the internet and just uh, typed in the false view of premillennialism because I wanted to see what came back. And I found myself to the, the website orthodoxchristianity.com. So this is Orthodox East and Orthodox Christianity. And they had a series of articles, four articles, written against what I'm going to teach you tonight. And the top of it, it says, Today and tomorrow we are presenting a series of four articles on the heresy of Kiliism, the thousand years, or millennialism. That is, that Christ will have a literal earthly kingdom lasting for a thousand years at the end of time. This belief, popular among many Protestants, and they later go on to say cults, they bring in Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, arises from a misinterpretation of Scripture. And our saints and holy, holy elders hold for us the key to properly understand the Scripture, the end times, as far as it is given to us to know. You go and read that article, the general gist of all four articles talk about the resurrections it'll talk about the the fact that the old testament does not speak of an earthly kingdom to come and again straight away i'm like whoa 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 because when you look at the old testament prophets there's not many of them that don't speak about the kingdom there's not many of them and this is the, the little chart. We call this the peaks of prophecy. This is what the prophets saw in the Old Testament. Not the church. Paul comes along and he says, it's been revealed to me a mystery. Dispensation of the gospel of grace. But the prophets of old, they see what we call the peaks. They just don't see uh, the valley where the church is because really and truly, if Israel had of behaved in a way that was honoring to God in and of their relationship with God, they would have accepted their Messiah. There's no doubt about that. You say to me, well, what, what would happen to us if they hadn't accepted the Messiah? Surely he wouldn't have been crucified. I'm like, well, let's not get into that. God's purposes would have been sovereignly uh, uh, forwarded. But they see Calvary. You can't not see that. I know that they try and remove these chapters they try and remove Daniel they try and um, you know talk about the forbidden chapter of Isaiah 53 and stuff they saw the Antichrist Daniel clearly sees that the Davidic covenant the eternal everlasting reign very much Jerusalem earth they, they seen all these things church not so much not so much so straight away, reading that article, and they're like saying, the Old Testament doesn't speak about these things. I'm like, it does. It does. In fact, I was going far to say, you start to read Ezekiel, and you get into chapter 40, 42 onwards, and there's five chapters there talk about an earthly temple with measurements that you can draw it out. I literally had somebody do that. I've got it. I think it's in, in that office. May may bring it out when we talk about the millennial temple a little bit more. But he took the measurements, and he, and he, he put it out. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Premillennialism says that's on earth. It's a physical building. Amillennialism says that's just spiritual. It's up in heaven. A lot of measurements given for something that's spiritual. So 
this millennial debate over millennialism and where, where it stands has kind of raged. First three centuries, the dominant view, first three centuries of the church, the dominant view was premillennialism. And then Augustine kind of wins the battle of the view that's going to go forward. This is third century stuff, fourth century stuff. But you look, because there was a church before Augustine, just for those that, that, you know, you can't go back. There was those that, uh, Justin Martyr and others, they were premillennial, premillennial. They saw that the Lord returned and there was a thousand year reign on earth of his kingdom. But the majority of opinion today when you go and read is that there's nothing. Nothing, there's no physical reign, there's no thousand years. You read Revelation chapter 20 and although you read a thousand years time and time again, it's not actually a thousand years. It's an indeterminate period. Again, I take the Bible as literal until it tells me otherwise. And when it repeats, like Revelation, you know, you get three and a half years over and over again. You've got the thousand years, even though it's just mentioned in, in Revelation chapter 20, it's re- mentioned a lot. So let's get into it and we'll have a look and we'll see as we go through and, and see if we can look through it and see what the Word of God is, is telling us. And again, we're taking the futurist premillennial position on this. First of all, we're going to see the restriction of Satan. So the Lord has, has come back, the rider of that white horse, and we looked at that and praise be to him. The false prophet and the beast, the antichrist false prophet, are thrown into the lake of fire. That's verse 20 of Revelation 19. Then it begins, Revelation 20, verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain on his hand. This bottomless pit we've seen before in Revelation. This is Tartarus or Tartarus. This is the uh, abyss. We've seen this in Revelation, the demonic horde. These are the uh, fallen restricted angels, I believe, that are in there. Um, We've seen it in Luke, chapter number 8. Remember the demoniac of Gadara? And what, what, when you read that account there, you'll see that as Jesus is, is dealing with that legion of demons, they, they, they say to him, they plead to him, don't send us to the abyss, abuso, to Taurus. This place where they'll be bound and, and locked. And this is the place that Satan's head, and this is part of his career. And I was away on Friday night in Oxford and, and just sharing and going through Revelation chapter number 12 and, and looking at, and I've done this here, where we look at where Satan is, uh, where he was, where he is, and where he will be. One of the places that he will be is this abyss. Bound, and it says, that's what it says, bound for a thousand years. He's shut up, that's what verse 3 says. He's sealed that he should deceive the nations no more. So in the, in the kind of chronology of this, the Lord returns. He vanquishes the enemies of Israel at Armageddon. He then uh, sits upon the throne of David, we, you know, and, and how he, as, as is promised in the Davidic Covenant, then this kingdom is set up. And at this point, the Satan is, is, is cast away that he deceives the nations for no more. To me, that tells us that he's deceiving the nations now. And he's doing a very good job. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. But there's a time where he won't deceive the nations. And it gives us this thousand-year period. Because what we're going to see in the, in the millennium is that conditions change. 
I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament and look at some of this. But part of that needs the restriction of the great deceiver, the great usurper, the one who gets into God's work and tries to unwork it. Now, today, the nations are being deceived. There's no doubt about it. The world is captivated by the deception. There is a great deception. There's no doubt about it. He's the Pied Piper, and people are falling along to his tune. But there's a coming a time in human history where he will be taken out of the way that he won't be allowed to do the stuff that he's doing now. Because ultimately, and this is the beauty, that I love this doctrine. I love it. The sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God should be everything to us. Because no matter what the enemy does now, he is not out of God's control. Everything in this world is allowed by God or sent by God. That's his sovereignty. Sometimes we don't like what God's doing. Because we don't know why he's doing it until we get to the end and realize why he's done it. God's purposes are always advancing. Look at Job. What happens? Where does Satan have to go before God? To do what? Get permission. Get permission. We tie this in with the verses that God uh, you know, has made a way that no matter what comes upon you, there's a way out of it in and through him. To bear it. God's sovereign. And this is just an example of a sovereignty. The Lord comes to set up his kingdom and the devil is bound away. He's put on remand, as it were. He's not allowed to go and interfere with what God's doing on earth at this period in time. But now, he's not bound in this way. One day he will be. So that's the restriction of Satan, which leads us to the reign of the Savior. Look at verse 4, Revelation 20. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither the image, and received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So again, thousand years repeated again. Verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that part in the first resurrection, and such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and reign with him a thousand years. So you have that thousand years repeated again and again. When it focuses in in verse 4, it says, They lived and reigned with Christ. Now again, if this wasn't a literal kingdom or a literal period, what's this lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years all about? You know, we go back to the testimony of Daniel. We think about Daniel, so let me get, hopefully, yeah, there he is. I drew this myself, can you tell? No, I didn't. It's Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel 2. What does he do in his dream and his vision? He tells us the world empire, Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, Greece, and Rome. And when you look at that image, you'll see that it's degrading. It's degrading. This is Daniel chapter 2. 
Starts with a head of gold, Babylon. Then it goes to silver, Medo-Persia. Imagine the Persian. Then it goes to brass, Greece. Then it goes to iron, Rome. So there's a, there's a d- diminishing value here. That's what I want you to see. And Daniel discloses for us these four world empires. But on verse 44 of Daniel 2, let me read it for you. It says this. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. It says there, in the day of these kings shall God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. These kings, who are these kings? Well, if we look at Revelation 17 and verse 12, these are the ten toes, if you like. There's ten toes of the statue. Revelation 17, verse 12 says, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. Daniel says of these kings that the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed in the midst of these kings. So if the other kingdoms are literal, and we have to say that they are, they're, they're literal kingdoms, Will this kingdom that God is going to set up in the midst of this be literal also? I've got to say yes. Because it's talking about literal kingdoms. Talking about literal kings. And then it's talking about the king of kings. Not, oh, it's the kingdom of heaven. God's going to set up the kingdom of heaven. God sets up his sovereign kingdom? No. God's sovereign kingdom, and I'm talking about the kingdom of God, not earthly, but the whole thing has always existed. By his very power and name. He is that kingdom. But this is, is, is focused, and it's literal, and it's earthly. Look at uh, Luke chapter number 1 with me. Luke chapter number 1, verse 31. And this is the thing. This is the thing. And, you know, I know we've got a limited time here. And this is deeper Bible study, and we're not even touching the surface of it. But this is the thing. I go on to orthodoxchristianity.com, and they say these things because they don't know the full counsel of God. That's it. And they cannot tie all these things together. I don't see different books of the Bible. I see the Bible. The books are helpful because it gets me to places. But it's, it's one word. It's God's word. The whole lot. Luke chapter 1 verse 31 says, And behold, they shall conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Question. At Christ's first advent, did he ever sit upon the throne of David? No. Uh-uh. And oh, he hung upon a wooden cross. Then sat upon the throne of David. So this prophecy of Luke awaits its future fulfillment. You say, well, all that kingdom's not literal. Wait, how is Luke writing it in the context? 
What's he say? They shall conceive in their womb and bring forth a son. Was that literal? She call his name Jesus. Was that literal? Will he be great? Shall be called the son of the highest? The Lord shall give him the throne of David. Is that literal? No. That's what they'll tell you. Of course it is. It's literal. How is it not? Why would it not be? He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom shall be no end. Is that a literal kingdom or a spiritual kingdom? Keep it literal. We don't chop and change. Because we don't have our end times right. So when we're dealing with this concept, you know, of the kingdom, there's, there's no reason to not imagine that it's not a literal kingdom. It says in Revelation 20, verse 4, they lived and reigned with Christ. Now, some people want to go and deal with this first resurrection stuff. Say that it's a general resurrection. I'm not going to get into all that thing because I don't, I don't want to take us off. But go and have a look and study out the first resurrection. And you will find that the first resurrection has stages to it. Old Testament saints, millennial saints, tribulation saints, us. When does the church take part in this first resurrection? Now the spiritualists want to say that's at your uh, your, uh, coming to Christ. Rapture, 1 Thessalonians, tells us. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. And those which are dead will rise to receive, to be resurrected. So, when we're looking at this, this prophecy of Luke, the prophecies of the Old Testament, await fulfillment, literal fulfillment. They lived and reigned with Christ. That talks about a kingdom. Verse 5 says, the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. So it's a thousand year period. I, I can't get away from that. Verse 6, blessed and holy is he that is part in the first resurrection. You're, you know, we're looking forward to that. And such second death has no power. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him thousand years. Now, if you're born again, you're here tonight, you're included in that. You're going to reign with him. A thousand years. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Spiritual, literal. What's life going to be like in those thousand years? What's it going to be like? That's a question. Turn with me to Isaiah, chapter number two. Hey. I'm going to make us a little bit interactive. I'm asking the question, what's life going to be like in this kingdom? What did the prophets of the Old Testament prophesy about this literal earthly kingdom and its conditions? Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Now, as I read this, I'm going to ask you the question, can you pick out one of the conditions? I'm going to have to take my word for it. This is talking about the kingdom. That's something that's coming. It says, The word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. This is verse 1 of Isaiah 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days. All right, so there's our time frame. That the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. 
shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow onto it. Again, if you can't, if you can't see the literal earthliness to this, there's something wrong in your Bible interpretation. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. We will walk in his path, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge among the nations and rebuke many people. I mean, has this happened? No, it's yet to come. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, they beat their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Question, did this happen when Christ came the first time? No. What does that mean? It's yet to come. Clearly, this is an earth. Question, this, so this is the millennial kingdom, I believe. What's the, one of the conditions that we're going to see when Christ is ruling and reigning from the throne of David in Jerusalem and ruling the nations? This is a theocracy. What's one of the conditions? First, peace. Peace. Why? Because the king of kings is there. It's one of the conditions. Look at Isaiah chapter 11. We'll read verses 1 to 9 and here we'll correct kind of false thing that's appeared that the lion lays down with the lamb. It's not what the Bible says. It's been adopted. I think there's just songs and it's been adopted when we think about this. Oh, the lion's going to lay with the lamb. And that may well be true, but it's not what the, the scripture says at this point. But look at verse 1. And it shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. That, you know, again, we could go into so much Messiah prophecy on that. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel, might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is the sevenfold uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit. And shall make of him quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the uh, hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, of faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf shall lie, or shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together. The little child shall lean on him, the cow and the bear shall feed, the young one shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like an ox. Suckling child shall play in the hole of the asp. The winged child shall put his hand in the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Question. Have we seen that in the first advent of Christ? No. No. What conditions are changing here? Come on. And the kingdom, right? Changing, right? We're going back. Where are we going back to? The garden. God created it, it was very good. Where it was a harmonious system beyond our imagination. We live in a fallen world. 
So said this morning. The millennial kingdom is those conditions on earth. Not perfect, but not far off. Heading towards the eternal state, which is back to the garden. Back into the presence of God forever. Forever. What else? Look at chapter 35 of Isaiah. Chapter 35. Now, just bear in mind that there are no Old Testament passages that talk about an earthly kingdom, okay? Just for any of you Orthodox out there that subscribe to orthodoxchristianity.com, there are no Old Testament passages. None. These I've just found somewhere. Right. Isaiah 35, verse number 1. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly. And rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. The curse is being removed. Things are changing in the agricultural world. Things are changing in this, the armed conflicts. Things are changing amongst the animals. Things are changing. Things are changing. And because of these conditions, I think the Bible points us to the fact that people that are born at this time that aren't like us, don't have their glorified bodies, we'll talk about that in a little minute, will lead long lives. Look at chapter 65, Isaiah, verse 19. Isaiah 65, verse 19. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no more be heard in her, nor the voice of her crying. There shall no more thence be an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, shall plant vineyards, eat of them. They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of the tree are the days of my people, mine elect shall enjoy the work of their hands, shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth in trouble, for they are seed of the blessed of the Lord, and they are offspring with them. It says, therefore the child shall die a hundred years old. Where are we going back to? We're going back to the garden. Get into your Bible. We came out of the garden, and pre-flood, people lived for a long time. A long time. I don't know how many letters from the Queen Methuselah would have got, but quite a few. What do you get, a hundred years and you get a letter from the Queen? What are we doing? We're going back. The curse, these conditions are being reversed. We're heading back to where we began. This is the completion of the story. What God began, he will complete Not because we have made it there ourselves, because he has intervened, because we lost all that in Adam. That's why we call Christ the last Adam. So the millennium is going to be a blessing, absolute blessing. But, but, let's get to our final point. In verse 7 of Revelation 20, we're going to see the rebellion of the sinful. Let's read that. 
for seven. When the thousand years are expiring, so this is at the end of the thousand years, even though it's not a thousand years, it's just this indeterminate period. That's what people want you to believe. It says that the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Now what is going on here? What is God doing? Because it says Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Question, who locked them up? God, ultimately. Question, who loses him? God. It doesn't say he escaped. It says God let him out. Why? Verse 8. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So, so what, what is going on here? Why? Why would God loosen them? Now, if you listen to our dispensational series, we'd have, we'd have dealt with this. What's going on? This is God. One final time. Showing us that we need him. That without him, we will fall to sinful desires. Because here's the thing. Sin is still in the millennium. But this time, the one who fuels the fire, the deceiver, the deceptor, is taken out of the way. This time, the Lord of glory is ruling and reigning theocracy. This time, the conditions have been changed. It's near-perfect conditions. So this time, all the excuses are taken away. You say, well, how does sin get into the millennium? Because there are people that are alive in Revelation 19, where the Lord returns. Now, we come back as the church. And when we come back, we're glorified. Sin is, as soon as we get into the presence of the Lord as the church, sin is done, it's dusted. But in the millennium, there are natural human beings that go in in their sin-filled natural state. And what they do is they have generation after generation I think the Bible, Jeremiah, points to the fact that the population growth expands. Why would it would not? It goes through the roof. Because we do not have the conditions of poverty, war. Things are being reversed. Disease as well, I believe, is, is pulled back. These are near perfect conditions. But yet sin is still there. But this time we can't say the devil, this, that. When the devil comes back on the scene, people are ready to rebel against God in these near perfect conditions. What does that tell us? It tells us without God fully and finally dealing with sin for us we will always fall back to our sinful ways. That's who we are outside of him. So even under the most favorable circumstances the devil is loose. Look at verse 9. They went up in the breadth of the earth compassed the camp of the saints about. So this is different from Armageddon. Armageddon uh, they, 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 they come from the north this is coming from all around different battle Armageddon happens just before the Lord returns Revelation 19 this is at the end of the kingdom the thousand years gather compass the saints about the beloved city fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them last time this was attempted at Armageddon the Lord Jesus came down and he deals with it. This time, God just rains fire from heaven. It's a 
God rains fire from heaven on the world. That's what he did in the Old Testament. That's what he's doing now. If you remember when Christ came back, it says that the carrion birds had the feast. No need for carrion birds here. Everything's too crispy. (laughs) Terrible joke. Terrible joke. Anyway, they cremated on the spot. What happens? Verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever. Let me read that again. And I want to hear a hallelujah when I'm finished. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hallelujah. God's in control. This is the destination. This is the destination. This is what's going to happen. So this kingdom that's set up on earth that is foretold in the Old Testament. I haven't got into half of the stuff in the Old Testament that talks about this. Just read Ezekiel. You'll see it again and again and again and again. This was the hope of Israel. This is what they wanted when Christ came. And they couldn't work out how the Christ that came was the same Christ that had been prophesied that would rule with a rod of iron. Like, what is he doing coming down in this donkey? He should be on a a king's horse. Why is he bearing his back to the Romans, to the pagans? Why is he not overthrowing them? Why are they saying that? They're saying that because the Old Testament's full of it. And they can't work it out. We can't work it out. Let's get on. Remember Acts, we did. Questions asked. When will you restore? The kingdom. The kingdom. Matthew 24. It's all about the kingdom. Earthly. The very covenant earthly throne it's all there when you get to revelation 20 it's being realized the lord comes back in fulfillment of all that he said because he is a faithful god he sets up this kingdom he removes all our excuses oh you know i'm not walking right because not enough money in the bank I'm not walking right because, you know, it's tough out there, this, that, whatever. If we only got some decent politicians that would rule and reign correctly, then everything would be okay. All the excuses that we put up, the Lord says, well, here, I'm going to come, I'm going to rule, I'm going to reign. The conditions are going to be nearly perfect. There will be no war. There will be no famine. I will righteously, I'm not corrupt. And I'm going to rule with a rod of iron. How does that work out for humanity? It says there in Revelation 20 that the number of them that rebel against him are like the grains of sand. This is not one or two people. See, without God, without him, the human heart leads to rebellion against the one that created that heart. We need him each and every day. And this kingdom period fulfills and closes all those prophecies that were 
promised by the prophets that were seen, those peaks of prophecy, they're all dealt with. And then ultimately, next time we get into the book of Revelation, we're going to see the great judgment for all those outside of Christ before we get to the new heavens and the new earth that is the eternal state of eternal bliss and the eternal glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you just for this glimpse into the kingdom as you've promised it. Lord, the prophets foretold it and you will fulfill it. Lord, help us to see that the great spiritual application for us off of all of this that we can apply today is the truth that when we're outside of you and not in you, we flounder, we fall, we wander. Lord, I pray you would help us to see that we need you. Forgive us when we think that we don't. Lord, as we shared this morning, I'm looking forward to the day where our struggle against the flesh and sin will be finally over. But for now, Lord, we sit between what is and what will be. So thankful, Lord, that we can read the book of Revelation to see your sovereign hand, that you have everything in control. Thankful, Lord, that the great enemy will one day be vanquished completely, fully, finally. Those thousand years will be years of bliss, but there will be a rebellion at the end. We're thankful, Lord, that you'll deal with that too. Lord, I thank you that you haven't dealt with us in the way that we deserve. That you've been merciful to us and gracious to us. Lord, we are rebellious at heart. Lord, but your saving grace changes that heart, covers that heart, replaces that heart, as Jeremiah says. I thank you for that. I thank you for the new covenant in your blood. For those of us that know you as Saviour, we know that one day we will rule and reign with you on this earth, in this kingdom. And Lord, that's so much more than we deserve. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, in your precious name.